So, you know, after your first week, you're kind of like, oh, like, am I forgotten? And you don't want to be forgotten and you want to try to get as much exposure as you can, but it's so competitive. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Romy Mundi is a Canadian author whose 2022 diverse contemporary romance, 24 Hours in Paris, received a Publishers Weekly starred review and was the Publishers Weekly 2022 number one summer romance read. 24 Hours in Italy, the follow-up to 24 Hours in Paris, also received a Publishers Weekly starred review and will be released on July 18th, 2023. So please welcome Romy to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We are going to discuss your journey to publication today, and we're going to start all the way back at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I would say around 2007, I would call it the heyday of blogging, if anyone (laughs) remembers that, um, aging myself. But I was blogging like three times a week religiously. I had a whole subset of blogging friends and we would comment on each other's posts. And I guess around 2009, I had at that point themed my blog a bit more around this idea of the intersection between dating and having like a strict Indian family and the challenges that can arise. So it was kind of like inspired by my real life. And then I adapted that into my first novel. And uh, from there, um, I worked on it. And then I found out all that I could about publishing through, I think it still exists, the Absolute Right forums and message boards. And I, I w- let's just say I was very online as a person. So you already actually answered the next question, which is how did you learn more about publishing, like how it works and how to go about it? Is there anything more you want to say about that before we move on to the next part? I guess I, there were so many different subsets of message boards and it, it just seemed like this whole world that I wanted to be a part of. So there was, of course, the part with query letter feedback, Um, So I would just read all the query letters about romantic comedy books or chiclet, I guess it was called at the time to try to come up with the best query letter. And then you move on to like the different threads. So then there's people who are agented and they're talking about their experience. And I was like, wow, I want to be that person. (laughs) And then there's the next echelon where it's people who are on submission. And then you're reading about what it's like to be on submission. So it was just like, this whole world I was looking into that I really wanted to be a part of. Mm, Nice. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from writing that first book to signing your first book contract? Absolutely. So one, I will say it was a long road and it was not always progressive. There were zigzags, back steps. And I think that's typical of a lot of writers. So whenever I describe the journey on a panel or a podcast, I try to keep it real. So that's what we're going to (laughs) do. So I'm going to tell you that there was like definitely over a hundred rejections. Absolutely. I also was coming up in the time when all the rage was post twilight. So vampire books were Mm. the main books on submission. 
So here I was pitching, you know, a chiclet book with a South Asian lead when at that time that simply did not exist, you know? So I started to wonder like, is it me or does nobody want um, South Asian led books? Cause at the time I didn't have the validation of that existing so much in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there were books here and there, but I didn't see that reflected in the industry. So I started to question myself like, oh, should I change my character into a white vampire? (laughs) Like I thought about it. And after all the rejections, I guess I got really desperate, like just to be honest with you. So then when one agent, which looking back was clearly not the right fit for me and going on their website, they had, they maybe done some nonfiction, but not really fiction. But just because they were interested, I jumped on that. And needless to say, it didn't last very long. They were very nice and we parted ways very amicably. It just became clear that they probably weren't the best fit for a chiclet fiction book. And so there ended for at that time, my traditional published attempt. And I started to learn about self-publishing. Going back to the message boards, I discovered Kindle boards, and that was all about self-publishing through Amazon. So this was around 2010, early 2011. So it was becoming more common to self-publish. There was a stigma around it, but Amazon was kind of removing that stigma by making it so easy to do it. The message boards, you know, you could find a cover artist on this thread or an editor, this and that. So it started to demystify the whole thing. And after all the rejection, I found it very intriguing because I kind of wanted to see for myself, like, am I just really bad or will people (laughs) want to read this if I (laughs) self-publish it? So that's what I did. And I guess I could talk for hours, so I'm going to have to condense some of this. So I self-published the first book around the same time Wattpad was emerging as a reading app. They were very new. Um, They saw my book featured on a book blog and they asked me if I wanted to also post it on Wattpad. And I figured, well, another avenue, because I was at the point where no one knows who I am. So I'm trying to find an audience. And I also, I was already working on a sequel. So I had it in my mind. Well, when I published the second book, I can give away the first book for free on Amazon and for on Wattpad, sort of like a gateway drug into the series. And then I can earn 70% royalty on the sequel. So that's exactly what I did. And then there was also a third book in the series. It took place in Paris though, but I had never even been to Europe. And I ended it that way as a challenge to myself. So I actually quit my corporate job, moved to Paris for six months, lived there. (laughs) And this was in the time before you could use your phone data abroad and before Uber. (laughs) So let me tell you, um, figuring out how to get around Paris was a challenge at first. I did everything from like going to meetup.com and finding meetups to be expats and Parisians. And that's how I made some of my friends. But anyway, I procrastinated a lot because I was in Paris and I wanted to have fun. But at Mm -hmm. the end, I wrote the third book. I published it while I was there. I had the copies shipped to Paris and I had like a book launch party at one of the English bookstores, the Abbey Bookshop, which is my favorite bookstore in Paris. So now I have to condense again, four or five years. So then I get back, I'm broke. I'm like, oh yeah, I blew all my savings. I don't have a job, but hey, I've 
sold 15,000 copies as a self-published author. So to me, that was a success. I was like, I did it. I know that there's an audience for diverse romantic comedies, but at the same time, I need to be practical and get a job for right now. So I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So I found a freelance proofreading gig, and then I basically talked my way into letting them let me copyright a couple times, and I did well. And now I'm a senior copywriter at a digital bank in Canada. So I basically (laughs) faked my way into that, which was great. (laughs) Fake it till you make it, guys. (laughs) And while all of that was happening, I had written a story for fun on Wattpad just because I wanted to. I had the idea in the shower. It was called 24 Hours in Paris. And the idea was, oh, imagine if these college students were on a class trip. They hate each other, but something happens, they both miss their flight back home and they're stuck in Paris for 24 hours. What happens? And then I got the idea. I also did some screenwriting throughout the years because I love doing that, placed in a couple contests, just because I like to challenge myself in different mediums. Maybe it comes from being a copywriter as well. And that was really fun. And fast forwarding now to October, 2020, Um, Wattpad had a paid stories program. So they Mm -hmm. wanted to put my book into that, which was great. Didn't really think about it again. And then in January, 2021, the publishing division saw the paid story and they evaluated it and they wanted to offer me a book deal for their adult imprint, but it would require a page one rewrite to age up the characters. So Mm -hmm. that led me to the contract. All right. Wow. That was, that's a uh, lot. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's very different from a lot of the stories that we've heard on this podcast, which is great. So here's the point where we usually ask the author to read their successful query letter, but we're going to skip that part. So how has your experience been since signing that first contract, especially let us know if there's anything that particularly surprised you along the way. I will say that it has been incredibly intense, challenged me as a writer in ways that in the prior four or five years, I really hadn't been challenged because I was kind of writing for fun and between copywriting, but it was on my terms. But now it was on the terms of contracts and deadlines. (laughs) So that was very different. Um, And so as I mentioned, the page one rewrite. So I was like, okay, I got this. I have the concept. Um, I'm just changing the ages of the characters and their jobs, but they're still going to be running around Paris, falling in love. How hard could it be? Well, it is definitely (laughs) writing an entire whole book. And I had the full-time copywriting job. So basically, I would say in less than a year, we went from nothing to the final proof. So it was very intense, but that was because we wanted the May 22 release date. And I wanted that too. Like I didn't want to push it out another year. So I was up to the challenge and a challenge it was many late nights and just sometimes being like, am I going to pull this out? Cause I'm a like renowned procrastinator as well. (laughs) I still haven't recovered. You think I would have learned something (laughs) from that. And for the second book, it was equally as intense. So I started the draft in August. I should have started it much earlier. Like in June, but it was so much was going on after my book release. I I needed to like experience that before jumping into the next draft. So I started that in August and then we finished the final proofs, I guess, in March, late March. 
So again, that was less than a year. And I will definitely say something surprised me because I was previously self-published. So there was a whole world about the traditional publishing world that I never knew about. I only knew about the part of trying to get in. I didn't know about any of what happens after. What surprised me the most, it was actually, you had a really great tweet of, I think it was a few weeks ago and I responded to it and it kind of is about that. So, you know, when you're published in the contemporary romance genre, every genre is competitive, but I feel like every Tuesday they're pumping out like another 10 romance books. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after your first week, you're kind of like, oh, like, am I forgotten? And you don't want to be forgotten and you want to try to get as much exposure as you can, but it's so competitive. And I talked to a lot of romance authors on Twitter and a lot of us, all of us have the FOMO about being on those lists because you know the lists, Mm -hmm. the best summer reads of the year, can't miss romance books, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times they're from big media organizations too. Like, so they're very like trusted and they get tons of exposure. All you want is to be on these lists. And I always thought it was like, oh, um, if I can just be good enough, you know, it's like, I got a start <laughs> review. I know I'm good enough to be on this list. Like, of course I'm a must lead, must read. Sorry. And then I find out that many of these are paid placements. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of made me pause for a minute and <laughs> question everything. Because all this time you're thinking like, if I'm just good enough, you know, people will see, they will know. And, but really it's like, maybe they won't know, you know, if you didn't pay the right person. And that's just how it is. Like, it's not a secret. Like everyone knows it was just like a surprise to me, like quite the realization to have. And I just wish it was more transparent because like on Instagram, if you do a paid partnership, you have to say it's a paid partnership. But when you're, everyone's looking at these lists that are so popular, it's very unclear which ones are paid and which ones are actually because the writer really liked the book. So Mm -hmm. that was a heck of a surprise. Yeah. I remember a month after my second YA come out, there was a list that was like best YA summer camp romances, which my book was. And I was like, how is my book not on this list? How are there that many YA summer camp romances that my book isn't here? Exactly. Or like, so right now it's May and I'm South Asian and it's Asian Mm. heritage month. And that's what they call it in Canada. And I know us has their equivalent as well. And so like last year, my, was like my book came out in May it had a start review. Publishers Weekly was like number one summer romance read. And it's Asian Heritage Month. And I swear, I saw like 10 lists. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not part of these cool Asians. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. But you, you, but I've talked to so many authors about it. It's like we have to learn to let go of that, which we can't control. But it's really hard. Yeah. All right. So it is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a reformed pantster and now a plotter. (laughs) Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? My first draft is always underwriting, not not the legal underwriting. (laughs) I'm an underwriter (laughs) um, because I like to add the atmosphere and stuff in the edits. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? I wish I preferred to write in the morning. I would get better sleep, but 
night. When you're starting a new project, do you typically start with character, plot, concept, or something else first? Concept, so shower idea, and then right into who's the compelling character. Plot comes after. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Can I say both? Sure. <laughs> but if I had to, if I had to let go of one, I would stick with tea. Mm. When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Uh, I always need music, but most of the time music without lyrics. So I like to listen to film scores and things like that. When it comes to the first draft, are you a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I tell myself I'm a get it down kind of person. And then (laughs) there I am rewriting my own sentences in the first draft when I should be trying to hit my deadline. What tools or software do you use to draft? I am as basic as they come. I use Microsoft Word. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Uh, I I did an Instagram reel about this. I absolutely prefer revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential, for sure. Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I am definitely an extrovert. Nice. Me too. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) We skipped the first cue, but we're not going to skip the second one. What were some of the qualms or worries you had on your journey? And do you feel like they were realized or you overcame them or how did they shake out? I think my biggest worry, it hasn't fully shaken out because I have another book coming out in over two months. So all the anxiety is coming back is, I guess, as a South Asian author, I put too much pressure on myself. And my team tells me this all the time. They're like, you need to calm down. (laughs) But I feel like the reasons are valid because I look at the industry. And yes, while it's great that in the last couple of years, I have seen more romance books that represent South Asian culture. And I'm happy about that. I still feel like there's a big gap. Like it's nowhere near representative of the population, just like so many other marginalized groups. Like last year when my book came out, I just felt this intense worry that if I'm not successful, are the big wigs and the decision makers going to say to themselves, well, Let's just go back to tried and true, you know, Mm -hmm. like homogenous stories, white characters, like Hallmark movies that everybody loves. And I really worry about that. And I haven't stopped worrying about that. And that's why also things like starred reviews and things are important to me because I want to prove that I deserve to have a seat at the table. But the other part of that is All of that's great, but you need to find the readers too. But so much of that is out of my control. So I'm doing my best, trying to stay calm. I try to meditate every day, but it's an ongoing thing for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of writers who come from, you know, not often represented backgrounds feel the same pressure. And it's so unfair because the people writing from like the cishet, able-bodied perspective we'll never know that pressure of feeling exactly. responsible for your entire community. Exactly. And it's like, it's not my choice. I don't want to wear that on my shoulders. I shouldn't have to, like, I, yeah. I should just get to publish and be like, woohoo, look at this audience and then move on to the next one. But it's just, the world doesn't work that way. And so it's a part of the journey for me and for so many others, as you described the other groups. So just trying to make the best of it. Yeah. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? 
Yeah, we'll call it weird. We're going to label it weird. (laughs) I liked interesting. That was cool. But I'm just going to be honest. It's a bit weird. (laughs) So I mentioned briefly that I need to have music, but not always lyrics. And so for my last four books, I guess, for a long time, uh, and for screenplays too, actually, I need, not for the whole writing process, but for at least maybe 20 hours of the writing process or more. I don't even know how this is tracked and how much I listen to this. (laughs) But the original score from the movie, The Holiday by Hans Zimmer is my favorite score. I watch the movie every Christmas. And so to anyone who loves that movie, like I do. So one of the characters, Jack Black's character is a composer, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So he's kind of composing the music, which is really Hans Zimmer's music. And then there's one (laughs) scene where for Kate Winslet's character, he's composing something for her. And he says to her, I used only the good notes. And I feel like (laughs) that's what that musical score is. It's only the good notes. And it puts me in that mood of hope and love and all of that stuff because I'm also kind of cynical. So it takes that away (laughs) while I'm writing and it allows me to write like those romance happy scenes. So I need it. I just need it. I need it. And it's weird. Interesting. I want to try it though, because you're right. Like, especially the Jack Black storyline was just so like heartwarming. It was, oh, those two, my favorite. Like that, I felt like in a way they're like the sub characters, but that's the real storyline in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that was for you, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I have a key moment of the lowest part of my journey. Everyone want to hear it? Do you want to cringe yes. with me? Okay. Sure. <laughs> so it was when I was self-published. I think maybe it was by my second book at that time. So like I knew I had readers. So I knew like this is something So there was a used bookstore in Toronto and they're like, buy and sell. So I'm like, well, I can't get into like Indigo bookstores because I'm self-published. So let me charm my way into this used bookstore. So I head in there with a tote bag of my books, very conservative, just probably like four. I don't want to, you know, I'm like, (laughs) let's try Let's see if we can sell through on this inventory and then I'll bring more. And I just remember the guy at the desk he's at his computer. It's just like a scene from a movie. Like he couldn't (laughs) care less, doesn't even make eye contact with me. And I'm like, I have some books to sell. And he's like, yeah, like, what are they? He's not even looking. And mind you, these were not used smelly books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These were new and shiny. And I just remember he looked at them. He didn't even like flip it over, flip through it. And he's like, uh, we're not interested in that. Oh, and that's all. He's, and just imagine me and I'm taking the books, putting them Aww. back in my toe, walking down the streets of Toronto, kind of like with Charlie Brown, my head hung low. And <laughs> it just really sucked. Like it felt horrible, but it was mm-hmm. also really embarrassing. It was more mortifying. Like clearly I need therapy. I'm talking about it like almost 10 years later, but <laughs> What kept me going was just knowing that because I I'd had so many reviews on Amazon and I was like, you know what? There is an audience for this. It's just not that guy. And one day he will rue the day. And now my book is in Indigo and all that. 
I mean, of course he didn't remember me two minutes no. after I left, but that's just something I tell myself to make myself feel better. All right. Oh man. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you'd like to share with listeners? So maybe they can avoid making the same ones. Sure. My big mistake, I guess this is, I laugh about it now, but if it helps anyone, I mean, sure, I'll share it. Um, But my first book, the one that, you know, that I was agenting and then I eventually self-published, like early on in the draft, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I had this very talented writer friend and I thought, oh, maybe like I'll send it to him for like a light grammar edit. And the way he filled it up with comments of everything I needed to change, it was the first time I'd received feedback like Mm. that. And, you know, my ego at that time had not been challenged. So it was very crushing for my ego, but my ego needed that, you know, because I I think I was high on my own supply, I guess you could say. And now when I look back at that, the reason I laugh is because I think of like the books I'm publishing now and the many rounds of professional editing that are required before it gets in the reader's hand. Like I would be mortified if they printed like even my second or third draft and put it in a bookstore. I'd be like, Oh God, no, please mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. funny. Cause I run a writer's group for our local library, which ends up getting a lot of first timers and you can tell the people who just expected everyone to be like, this is brilliant. Don't change anything. Absolutely. Um, I had my way back in the day, I had an in-person writer's group in this coffee shop in Toronto and it was just of all ages. And there was just a few of those like literati types in the group. And it was always like this energy of like, they're bestowing us with a sample of their work and (laughs) they didn't want any feedback. Yeah. Can you share with listeners the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? I touched a bit on the fact that there's so much you can't control. And that was a hard lesson for me, especially transitioning from self-publishing to traditional publishing, because even though you can't control everything in self-publishing, you can definitely control a lot more than -hmm. you can in the traditional publishing world. But in both cases, so much is out of your hands and it can be like really discombobulating. It can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. And my advice is not just generally to control what you can control. Cause I feel like that's one of those platitudes and everybody's heard that before. But what I would say is try your best to focus on what you love about your story and why it exists and why you created it in the first place. Because to me, that has been such a healing bomb in the times when I was emotionally spiraling for all the things I couldn't control. Even now, like I'm a little over two months for my next release and all the anxiety is creeping back in. But what I keep reminding myself is that I love these characters so much and I've loved my travels in Italy so much. Like this book takes place in Italy. And I'm just reminded of all the love I poured into this book because it's so meaningful for me. And it's sort of like an anchor when everything else becomes chaotic. So that's the advice I would give. Because I know you can also control other things like improve your craft and work hard. And those are valuable as well. But you like you need something emotional too. And so for me, that really helps. Nice. All right. This is 
not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way? I have to give a shout out, like just in general, to my OG best friends because they were the ones who have always been there for me. They were the ones who were there at my self-publishing book launch parties on like a patio in Toronto. They would always show up. They would be like, please autograph my book. They just always believed in me so much that, you know, last year when my first book came out and they came to me with me to Indigo to sign author copies, it was the same people that were there for me like 12 years before. Mm -hmm. But what I loved the most was they weren't surprised at all that I was there and that I'd made it that far. Their collective reaction was, well, of course this happened. We always knew it would happen. And that belief in me, like so unwavering has meant like so much to me over the years. Oh my gosh, am I getting for clumped? Like I'm getting a little emotional <laughs> talking about it. The listeners can't see me, but Sarah can see that my eyes are glistening right now. <laughs> also, one great thing about working with Wattpad as a publisher is that they assign you a creator manager. Because At this time, I still don't have a literary agent, but they support you in a, many similar ways to a literary agent, but they're dedicated to you. They work for your publisher. They are a go-between and you have like check-in calls. And I call mine also an on-call therapist because she's always there for my emotional spirals and everything. <laughs> I already shouted her out in the acknowledgments of my latest book, but I have to shout her out again in case she listens to this. Irina, thank you so much. <laughs> You're amazing. I couldn't have done it without you. And my editor on the last two books for the 24-hour series just really helped me bring the characters and their stories to life. So Deanna McFadden, thank you as well. Awesome. Before you go, can you tell us about your upcoming release that comes out in July? I sure can. <laughs> and I'm excited to. So it's called 24 Hours in Italy. So it's a follow-up to 24 Hours in Paris. However, you don't have to have previously read it. It is the same characters, so it absolutely helps. But you also have the option of reading the first one later as a prequel. And I was talking with my publisher about how can we remove the barrier as much as possible for people feeling like I want to read about Italy this summer before I read about Paris. We included a recap at the beginning, mm -hmm. kind of like, in, you know, in a Netflix series when a new season comes out and there's a two minute trailer. So we included that at the beginning of 24 Hours in Italy. So if you really feel like in July, I want to escape to the Amalfi Coast immediately. You absolutely can do that and pick up a copy of 24 Hours in Italy, which comes out July 18th. Nice. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun for me to do because as I mentioned a few times, you know, I have the day job. It's very demanding. So anytime I have a chance to talk about the journey and being an artist and being a writer and even to encourage one person to not give up on their dream. I hope they look at my unorthodox journey as an example that, you know, there's no exact way to do it and you never know what could happen. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the transcript in the show notes along with links to find out more about Romy and her books. If you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. 
If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Sarah Nicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.